Hey there, you're listening to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. This sermon, Weird, is from 17 November 2019. The scripture is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Thank you for listening, and may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Every Sunday morning, I wake up, and as the coffee is dripping into the coffee pot, and as Katie and the dogs continue their, their Sabbath slumber, I grab breakfast and sit down in front of the couch, and I turn on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood because I am a 35-year-old man who is still watching the television programs that I watched 30 years ago. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, in case you've been living under a rock, um, is a show that where Fred Rogers, who was an ordained Presbyterian minister, um, gently talks to his viewers for about half an hour. There's never a point where you can, can really switch off from it. He's always talking to you. It's a very personal experience as you sit in front of your television and here, here is this gentleman who is so patient and so, so gentle. He announces when he's feeding the goldfish because a blind girl had heard him mention his goldfish once but never heard him mention feeding them, and she was worried that they were going to starve. Every episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood features a trip to the neighborhood of make-believe. Now, this is where Katie and I disagree on Mr. Rogers, because Mr. Rogers has loads of puppets that he himself designed and, and directed the creation of, I find them charming and endearing. Katie finds them a little bit on the creepy side. And that may well be. But that's not the point. We're not here this morning to debate the creepiness of Mr. Rogers' puppets. Mr. Rogers goes into the world of neighborhood, the neighborhood of make-believe. And he, he initiates a world that is real that is very real, that exists within our own, but has its own kind of values and lessons and things to be learned and ways of life. You know that you're entering the world of the neighborhood of make-believe because the trolley comes by, and you know that you are leaving the world of the neighborhood of make-believe when the trolley leaves again, and you meet all of the endearing characters there, and it's ruled by a benevolent king named King Friday the 13th, which is a joke I didn't get until a couple of years ago. But I want you to imagine that the neighborhood of make-believe were a larger and broader world that existed in our world. Because what we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks and even before that, in October, when we, when we talked about the tables, is the very real rule and reign of God that was inaugurated by
by Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension and exists now. Jesus is Lord right now. There is no part of the world that Jesus is not Lord over. In the places where we would say are the deepest depths of evil on planet Earth, that place still belongs to Jesus. He's just not recognized there. But that phrase, he's not recognized there. The kingdom of God is not broadly recognized. And the kingdom of God is not broadly recognized because the world has its own patterns and ways and values. You see it everywhere. I would say, I would assert this morning that the core value of our worldly culture is individualism. That the individual is held higher than anything else. That we are taught to be seen first and foremost as individuals. That this is what is most valuable in our society. Because from us being indoctrinated as, to see ourselves as individuals, then we're indoctrinated to see ourselves as consumers. Because if we're individuals and we're consumers, then we can spend our money on whatever we want to. And we can spend it on any variety of things that somebody happens to be selling. And it doesn't just have to be products. It's an idea of where we fit in as an individual. That's why car commercials tend to be like these cinematic masterpieces. Because they're not selling you a car. They're selling you an experience for you as the individual to fit into. This is the value of the world. Our political system is so broken in our country right now because we are being told to see each other as individuals and to collect these individuals and slap a label on them so that when we meet these individuals on day-to-day -day life, we can dismiss that label so easily. This is the world we live in. Individualism, consumerism, antagonism. Our world has values that it expects us to live into and exist in every day. And if we can't see that as followers of Jesus, it's problematic because we just simply go along with it. And it's so easy to. There was a photographer who did an art exhibition recently where he, he staged pictures of common, ordinary scenes in everyday life. And then he removed the mobile phones from them. And it showed you how detached our lives really are from each other. There is a husband and wife 
laying in bed with their backs to each other as their empty hands grasped not for the love of their life, but for their phone. There is a picture of of a children's playground and the children are playing all around and there are two moms sitting on a bench staring at the empty hands where the phone would have been. But most of us have smartphones. Some of us wish we didn't have smartphones. And I know there's at least one holdout who still has a flip phone. (laughs) But how often do we just take this, this thing for granted? It goes along to illustrate that if we don't pay attention, we get swept along in the current of the life the world has planned out for us. And I say it's a current. I'm using that language intentionally because it's a raging current that rises and falls and goes around and up and down and has all sorts of unexpected twists and turns. It's not safe and it's not steady because we're not in this current in a raft of any sort of thing. We're just going along. And culture changes so quickly and the values of the world mold around that change or they shape that change. So what do we do as followers of Jesus? My response would be to get weird. Christians have to be weirdos. We don't have any other choice. Some of the the best examples of Christian weirdos are, are the early monks, the early Christian fathers. They lived in caves. Now, they're not hermits. Monks aren't hermits. Don't, don't misunderstand me here. Monks aren't hermits. They would live together in, in communities because they believe by living together in communities, they could live out the gospel with each other for the sake of the world. That when travelers would come through, there would be a safe place for them to travel because they didn't have massive hotel chains where you could know that if you plopped down a certain amount of money, you had a relatively safe and clean room for the night. The early Christian martyrs chose to die rather than to submit to the ways of their age. They accepted death rather than to take on the values of the Roman Empire. They were weirdos. And the list could go on and on. But for us to truly live out the ways of Jesus, we've got to get weird because the ways of Jesus don't go along with individualism. The ways of Jesus don't go along with consumerism. The ways of Jesus don't go along with the antagonistic spirit of our age that calls us to hate people first and figure out if we can love them second. And thus, 
into this conundrum, we bring Scripture. Because I'll tell you a little secret. The book of Romans was set in a time not that different from our own. When the Roman Empire was pressuring people to believe its own way, to believe the way of the Roman Empire, to trust the way of the Roman Empire, to trust the peace of the Roman Empire. They called it Pax Romana, which is a Latin phrase meaning the Roman peace. And what was the Roman peace? They'd conquered the world by the sword, and they knew they could crush any enemy they wanted to. And so here's a group of followers of Jesus who have to live out of this. Paul writes this letter. And in chapter 12, after some of the most rich theological imagery the Bible has to offer, we get to chapter 12, and he gives us instructions on how to be weirdos. Because living faithfully as God's people requires us to be weird in the eyes of the world. He starts off by pleading with us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, this isn't the sort of sacrifice where you, you throw yourself on a, a funeral pyre out of grief. This is the sort of sacrifice where we realize that by laying down the life that the world has prescribed for us, we get to pick up the life of Jesus. Because we don't lay down our lives as sacrifices, as, as some sort of guilt or shame offering. We do it in view of everything that God has done for us. We do it in view of God choosing to live in the world as Jesus, fully human and fully divine. We do it in view of God's mercy of delivering the Bible to us. We do it in view of how Jesus willingly died and took the full brunt of human evil into his body and for God raising Jesus from the dead. If you want to know who God is, God is the one who brought Israel out of Egypt and raised Jesus from the dead. That's who God is. And that's why we willingly offer ourselves. We choose to be transformed by God in Jesus Christ because this is the only way to life. Because if we want to participate in this kingdom of Jesus, we can't get there by having one foot in the kingdom of Jesus and one foot in the world. We offer ourselves to live fully in the kingdom of God. 
Romans goes on, Paul goes on in the book of Romans to say, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. It's right there, plain as day. That we could very easily go along with this, but there's something else that we're to be formed by. And we're to be formed and shaped by the Holy Spirit. When you open up a brand new container of Play-Doh, it's very intimidating. I mean, yes, you do get that pleasant waft of, of Play-Doh smell up into your nose. I love it, personally. But you have this lump that's sitting there. And you think, what should I do with it? And as followers of Jesus... That, that thought of, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus, great, what do I do now? That can be very intimidating. Because you can grab that lump of Play-Doh and you can make a whole bunch of snakes. It's very easy. You can make a snowman. That's also very easy. Or you can start trying to work it and try to make something big and bold and, and relatively beautiful with that lump of dough. And you're going to try and you're going to fail. But all the time you're trying to shape it into something beautiful. And likewise, the Holy Spirit is renewing our minds and shaping us into something beautiful through Jesus Christ. And we're going to fail, and that's okay, because Jesus offers us forgiveness. But when we have offered ourselves as sacrifices, when we have turned over our lives to God, we start to be formed and shaped by the Holy Spirit. But if we stop there, see, I almost stopped at verse 2. But if we stop reading there, you can circle easily right back around into individualism. You know, okay, I've offered myself as a sacrifice. You know, I, I lay down this, great. And I'm being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Great, I'm good. Uh, out the door, see you next Sunday. And then it just becomes whatever makes you feel good. It becomes Whatever, whatever kind of makes you have this general feeling of religiosity, and you become a Christian consumer. You become somebody who shows up just to consume whatever the church has to offer, and then back out the door you go. But Paul continues and says, don't think more of yourself than you should, and get your butt in church. And he says this, because when I'm by myself, I can be a very holy person. By myself, in my own mind, I'm fantastic. Actually, most of the time, I think I'm rubbish inside my own mind, which is my own issues, but that's why I see a mental health professional on a regular basis. 
just being honest. <laughs> um, when we're with a group of other people, we are forced to live out the gospel. Because what is the gospel besides bringing the good news that we are being, that through Jesus, God is reconciling the world back to him. And if I'm by myself, who do I have to forgive? If I'm by myself, who do I have to learn to get along with? If I'm by myself, who do I have to sacrifice for, for the betterment of their good rather than mine? If I'm by myself and I take care of myself, it's just for me but if I'm part of a group of people and I care for myself and I take Sabbath rest, I'm doing this so that when the rest is over, I can fully give myself back to the group of people. And this isn't just my calling as a pastor. This is the calling of every follower of Jesus. And we do this in the church because the church is the body of Christ. The church is God's people. Jesus, through the cross and through the resurrection, created one new humanity out of two. And the church is how we understand this. And we are open and we are inviting. And we welcome people in so that we can learn to love them, so that we can learn to reconcile with them. And we sit around the Lord's table as equals in the kingdom of God. Because this is what we do as followers of Jesus. We locate ourselves first and foremost within the church. Do I hope that you have a very strong, deep, and abiding inner life with Jesus? Yes. Because that's the first part of this, is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But I also hope that you're understanding that you don't come here on Sunday morning as the main event in your spiritual life, but rather that you are coming to check in with everybody and see how everything is going in following Jesus before we go back out into the world to be God's people everywhere we go. And here's where we become weirdos. It's because when we're being formed and shaped there are voices that we have to listen to as most important. If the person who is molding, molding the clay of your life is the 24-hour news anchor, you're going to live a very different life than somebody who's being shaped by Jesus. If the loudest voice in your life is Facebook, you're going to be going to look very different than somebody who hears mostly the Holy Spirit. And if the chief person you're trying to please in your life is yourself, you're going to live a very different life than somebody who's trying to please God the Father. 
So we're going to look weird in ways. We're going to reject the world's tendency to label people so we can dismiss them. And we're going to start looking at people who are in need of the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to stop looking at people and judging them by their gender or by their skin color and start looking at them as people who are loved deeply by God. We're going to stop trying to exclude people from the Lord's table and realize that fellowship with Jesus is open to the whole world. And this is the good news that the whole world needs to hear. But that may put you at odds with some people. That's going to put you at odds with people. And this isn't me saying we're going to circle the wagons and and it's us against the world. But that's why you have the church. Is when we're rejected by the world, we remember that we're still a part of a great people. When we're rejected by the world, we realize that that's just the last remnants of rebellion against Jesus Christ kicking back against its creator. In the past couple of weeks, we've had three words, small, slow, and weird. And if I may, in closing, be a little bit bold, this is what I think God's plan for First Baptist Church is. I think if we realize that yes, we may be small in the world's eyes. We may be small in the eyes of other bodies of followers of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we can't be faithful. And that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't going to fill in the places where we can't and that Jesus is calling us into places where we can. That we may not carry out the same rhythm as the world. That we may not have a church calendar that's packed full of programs and activities and has things that are flashy and and bold and that really are going to attract people who are coming for a show but we can patiently love people as they come through our doors. We can patiently love people as we live out into the world. And we may be weird. And I hope we're weird. I love this phrase, get weird. It's been, a, it's been a rallying cry of mine for, for like two years now. Get weird. Weird is good. Because if we look like everybody else, what do we have to offer to a world that is hurting? If we look like hate, what do we look like? What do we have to offer to a world that needs hope? 
If we constantly look like indifference, what do we have to offer to a world that desperately needs our passion? If we constantly look like fear, what do we have to offer to a world that needs love? Because we don't do this all out of our own strength. We are small for Jesus. We are slow for Jesus. And we are weird for Jesus. So church, our challenge today, get weird for Jesus. Take that one home, write it on a sticky note, put it on your mirror, and every morning, go out and get weird for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.